My name's Ben. Uh, yeah, I pastored junior high, high school. Come on right here. Good to see you. Um, yeah, I, I just, I got to say something before I get into this, uh, before I pray. Um, I'm, I'm preaching on lust this morning, and I'm 25 years old. And, and I, I'm not here to give you advice, okay? <laughs> uh, I'm just, and I don't say that to, uh, to say whatever, it doesn't matter. Uh, it does matter, but I, I think that there's, it's very important for you to see that, that who's, who's here preaching the word is not here because we're heroes. We're not here because we have made it. Uh, we are a work in progress. And uh, it's, by the, as Paul would say, uh, I am what I am by the grace of God, and his grace toward me was not in vain. Do I work harder than anyone? It's not I that spoke, that, but by the grace of God. So, with that, take that in. I'm here to point you to Jesus. Uh, I'm not your standard of holiness, neither would Brian claim that or any other pastors on staff here. So, let's pray and get into it. Father God, I am grateful to be able to teach your word. I'm so stoked that we've got a family here, people that are eager to hear from you. And so God, help me, by your spirit, speak about you. Speak about the cross, about Jesus, and the good news that our sins have been paid. God, thank you so much for that good news, and thank you for the, for the joy and the, the privilege to get to speak it. God, I pray for my hearers, that their hearts would be open to hear from you. God, I pray for myself. I pray that you would speak through me, God. I pray that you would uh, just help me give you the glory, point to you. And uh, in the end of the day, God, I pray that we would all together as one family say how great is our God. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay. Uh, also, just one other disclaimer. I, I left my Bible in Brazil. I know, it's a long story. So I have this massive Bible. It takes me a little while to get around. So just be easy on me, all right? Uh, yeah, wasn't planning on this massive, yeah, pulpit strong, though. No, we're going to get through this. Um, okay, Matthew chapter 5, um, starting in verse 27. Let me say a little something before I read this. Um, what kind of this whole thing is about, and, and Brian has explained this before, is there's been some real uh, messed up teaching on what this sermon was about, or what the, the law, in other words, was about. Um, and the Pharisees, back in Jesus' day, were kind of opening up the Torah, opening up the prophets, and kind of, uh, this is what we think it says. And they were twisting the law. They were saying, they were misinterpreting what the heart of the law was. Um, and so Jesus comes on, opens up the book, and, and you know, opens up the sermon, and says, you know this, I'm talking about hate, well, this is what it really means. It goes deeper. And then he goes, and from my text this morning, we're talking about adultery, well, it goes farther than that. There's something that, uh, that we've got to deal with in your heart. Um, and so what, what we're doing here, Jesus is not in, inventing anything new. This is what he had written in the beginning and what he's expounding in his own, his own sermon. Good stuff. So, verse 27. You have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right eye causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Okay. What I need to say, i just got to say a few things about what I don't think this text is saying to us. First thing, I don't think that Jesus is just upping the moral requirement, saying just, you need more morality. You need to be nicer and try harder, and do better. You can do it. I don't, I don't think he's going there for this reason. Fundamentally, that when we do that, we put this huge weight on our shoulders. And you're like, and the type A folks, like myself, that I can do it, I'm gonna, this is my plan, got my 18 steps to accomplishing my goal. They love that. They love it when they're just the motivation that you can get them, you know? But then that, that's very short-lived, right? It's kind of like if you've been to youth camp uh, anywhere, I think, you go up and you're just fired up. The speakers are like saying it, and you're like, I'm going to do anything. I'm selling everything I have. I'm just, just you know, burning my house down. Your parents putting out the fire, you know, and, you, you, and it lasts for about a month, and you chill out, and you're like, okay, and you find yourself starting to sin again. And you're like, huh, what happened there? And I think it's this that you, you put this, we tend to put, we default to this, 
who put a tremendous weight on our own shoulders to be good people, to live righteously, and we neglect the finished work of the cross. We neglect that Jesus has proclaimed it's finished. He didn't proclaim, go get him. He did, but he first said he was finished. He said, I've done the work. I've lived the life you should have lived. I've died the death you should have died for your sins. And I've risen in victory and put to shame your sin. I've nailed it to the cross. We've got to see that. And second point, um, I don't think that Jesus is saying, you are justified by cutting off your hand. And if you lose a limb, I love you. It's like, really? You're like, you're going to pass around a machete now? We're all going to get right with God? You know, oh, I'm going to leave. No, that, I don't think that's what's saying. Don't worry. We're not going to pass around a machete. I, again, there, we put this, this weight on ourselves to perform for God. And we turn God into this angry taskmaster saying, this is what you have to do to make yourself better. I don't think he's doing that. Consider this. Um, another, another point. I don't think he's scaring us in to obedience. I don't think he brings up the point of hell so that we're just like, oh, man, I don't want to go there. Well, I guess I want to go to heaven then. Like, here's an example. Uh, I used to go, when I was real young, a little guy, uh, I used to go to this thing called Buddy Bears, okay? Anybody been to Buddy Bears far? Buddy Bears day camp. It was like a summer camp. It was great. Uh, you know, the people were, were fun, and there was this big, giant, furry bear, and I don't know what the point is. I don't know where that came from. It wasn't out of the Bible. But, uh, so, at Buddy Bears, they would talk, I remember them talking about heaven and hell. And, it, and heaven was explained as, there's this infinite playground and lollipops everywhere for everyone. And you're like, whoa, this sounds, this sounds pretty swell. Uh, you know, and I'm sitting there taking this in, all right. And then they're like, now we don't want you to go to hell where there's demons and fire and terrible things and no lollipops. So what I felt that did into my soul, I was like, okay, I know I don't want to go there, so I guess the default is I want to go to heaven. Where I totally had no desire to be with Christ. And so I think that, I don't think Jesus' point in this, in this is like, if I can scare them enough into obedience, then I win. I can get more people to my side into heaven. No, it doesn't work like that. Heaven is a place where we enjoy God. We enjoy Christ. Not, not a, it's, heaven is not a place for people that don't want to burn and don't want to go to hell. That's just not it. Hell is the, uh, the pouring out of God's just wrath on sin. Okay? And I, I just don't think that Jesus is just, I'm going to scare him real good with this text. I'm going to get him. That, that confuses me. Because think of how... Listen to how David talks about the law. This is out of Psalm 119. Here's a handful of verses for you. Uh, it says, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. If you had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. He goes to say, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And he says, I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. That, I was like, wow, okay. Now, are they talking about two different things here? Is Jesus talking about one thing, one law, and a different, David's kind of chewing on this other law that he says is, is a delight, and like honey, and I'm enjoying it, I'm savoring this thing. I think they're talking about the same thing. And so David, I think, is having a right perspective of God's law, or the heart of God's law. That it's something designed, not, not just to bring down this hammer, like Martin Luther would say, beat us up, but it's something that brings, is created to raise our affection for Christ, to show our inadequacy, but at the same time, bring us to a hope in God. Now, um, listen to this. This is what John wrote in his epistle. First John 4, this is 18 and 19. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. So I, I think even David and, and John alike aren't talking about a, um, a fear-driven love for God, but it's more of a relationship. Um, Jesus says in, in John 12, 47, says, If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Um, so Jesus, in, in all of this, 
I don't believe this text on lust is here to point the divine finger on us, say, clean up, get right, you need to do something. I don't, I don't think that because it takes away from what he accomplishes for us. We, we, we can do without the cross if all Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is, is a pep talk. It just leaves us with ourselves. It's no better than a self-help book. And I don't think they're all bad. I think these are good. You can take from those books. But if that's what your dependence and hope is in, you're left by yourself. And, and I know Christ doesn't want to do that to us. Um, so, how do we, do we respond to this? Okay. Look again at verse 28. This is a verse I really want to kind of sit on uh, this morning because I think it's key. I think it really it digs at us. Uh, 28. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, there is a humiliation that goes out from this verse. Right now, every man in this room, Jesus is talking about one kind of lust, a sexual lust, uh, and he's pointing out men that look at another woman with lustful intent, something that's coming out of the heart. He says, you're no better than the guy who's committed adultery. And so with that, every man in here, every, everybody, we're, just, we're guilty. We're called adulterers by God. And so with that, it, we have, we've seen, you know, reading this myself, I'm like, okay, a little bit humiliated by this. Uh, we're obviously humiliated when something public, something seen is, is done. But what Jesus is doing, he's pointing to, I feel a good humiliation in our hearts. Let me explain. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm going to get a drink. I get real cotton mouth, feel like a kind of like a camel, but uh, that's how it is, you know. You do the best you can. Uh, okay, so there's there's two ways I think in general to be bummed about sin. There's two ways, two two directions you can go with this. Let me start at verse uh, verse eight. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, this is Paul talking to uh, about a sin that went down in Corinth. Okay. Uh, even though I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, because you, but because you were grieved into repenting, for you, for you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us, for godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So Paul's talking about two ways for me to handle my sin. He's saying, one way you can go with this, where you are very concerned about the opinions of people. You're very concerned about the opinions of the world. You really, you hope you look good. You think God loves you because you're lovely. You're like, I'm so cute. I'm reading, I'm doing my devotion right now. God loves me so much. And then you feel really crappy when you're not in your Bible. And you play this game with yourself as if God's love is dependent on how great or how, how, how much you show him you're devoted or how less you show him you're devoted. God's love is wavering with that. And so Paul's calling that a worldly grief. You're putting the weight on yourself. So it's really interesting here. Paul says there's a way for you to grieve that's good, that leads you into to seeing your inadequacy, to seeing that, man, Jesus is the one who's going to bring repentance and going to bring salvation. Um, yeah, so, if this humiliation, right now as I'm reading John, or, uh, Matthew 5, if this is something that brings about godly grief, man, praise God. I'm so glad you feel that. I, want, I think it's very important for us to feel um, our inadequacy, or else we become our own heroes. We become our own saviors. Um, some of us have a Messiah complex. We're looking at every single problem and think we're, we're like, we're going to clean up the mess. And we're God's gift, except we're here to save, and we, we, and we make very little of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. Um, so, this, this one dude, I, uh, I don't know if any of y'all read uh, this one guy named Jonathan Edwards. I enjoy him. Uh, he's old school. And, and, uh, but his great, his great granddaddy, this guy named Solomon Stoddard, had a really interesting uh, quote. I read a, a short book called A Guide to Christ. It was, it was a good read. And, uh, he says this, though. Um, he says, God leads men through the work of preparation, partly by fear and partly by hope. If they run into either extreme, they have fear without hope or hope without fear. 
They are like a ship that goes beside the channel and is in danger of, to be broken to pieces. A mixture of fear and hope make men diligent. So Solomon's saying something like this. He's saying, if I'm filled with just fear, I think I, just, I forget Jesus. And I forget what my hope should be put in. I don't have something to deal with the fear. Now Paul tells us, uh, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Okay? But I don't think he's leaving us by ourselves there. Uh, now, I think if you have, if you're full of hope, and you, and you neglect the fact that we need to be fearful of the fact that we're sinners, that we've fallen way short of the glory of God, then, we, then our religion gets very fluffy and kind of just soft. We're like, oh, just hope. Mm, it's so great. Like, why, why should I hope? Do I have a problem? And you, you neglect the problem of our sin. So you need a, little, a combination of both. I thought that was really interesting. So, that's great, Ben. What does the Bible say? Oh, glad you asked that. Um, yeah, we'll get there. I got one more thing. Uh, I just got to say this because this is what the text is on. And, and again, I want to kind of answer a few things about why it's less bad. Um, now, again, I'm not, I'm not here to give you advice. I think that's the great thing about being a pastor is that standing up in front of my, my students or in front of you guys, I'm not here to say, well, this is, this is how I made it. This is how I did it. You can do it, guys. Go get them. Let's pray. No. I think that it's very, very important for us to see that, that dealing, dealing with lust is something that, comes, that has to be dealt with in the heart. But out of that, these are some of the things that I think the, the, uh, the, the bad fruit that comes out of it. Lust, I think, in a, in a sense, creates you to be more... Ab- in this text, we're talking about the sexual lust a man might have for a woman that's not his wife saying it would make you more about what that person represents rather than that person themselves. So as I was uh, reading Tim Keller, guy like life, he was, he was explaining it as it separates your body from your soul. God, God created them to be together, right? He saw Adam alone. He's like, this guy needs help. I'm going to create a helper for him. And then there was something there where Adam wasn't just like, all right, I got, a, I got someone to serve me now. But there was something where relationship came together and a covenant love, something that is, is deeper than just serving his selfish appetite. Okay? You're like, wait, wait a minute, Ben. You're not married. You have no right to tell us about marriage. I know. Easy. Uh, I'm just, just saying that's what happened in the garden. Okay? So, I think also C.S. Lewis, Lewis says it this way. It's really, really good. I got to pull from other, other cats, you know, because I, I, yeah. Um, we use a most unfortunate idiom when we say a uh, say of a lustful man prowling the streets, that he wants a woman. Strictly speaking, a woman is just what he does not want. He wants a pleasure for which a woman happens to be the necessary piece of apparatus. How much he cares about the woman, as such may be gauged by his attitude to her five minutes after fruition. One does not keep the carton after he has smoked the cigarettes. So it, I think that was really interesting. That It's like lust causes us, maybe it's a job, maybe it's a person, uh, it could be a sexual desire. It could be a desire for a position where you work or a group of friends or an identity. But I think it causes a very selfish attitude. We're like, how can I use this person to appease my temporary desire? Where God flips that around and it goes the other way. Where it's like, how can I pour out? I mean, I love what you said. It's more blessed to give than to receive. I mean, the Bible's constantly bringing this to our, to our mind, you know, that, that we're, we're created to give, our, give ourselves as Christ gave himself for us. Um, so, let me read verse 28 again. We're going to read this one a bunch of times because I think this is where we should be. Um, Adam, Matthew 5. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman lustful, with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members that your whole body be thrown into hell. You've got to see here that what Jesus is doing, he's pointing us to the heart issue. There's something wrong with our heart. Now turn with me to Matthew 15. This is a good text. I really want you guys to see this. Uh, while you turn turning back. Uh, this little thing in Matthew 15 is interesting. Uh, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they're like, Hey, uh, Jesus, we found out your uh, disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. And we, the law says that, you know, you got to get clean before you eat. And uh, what do you say to that, huh, Jesus? 
And so they're bringing this argument to Jesus, and, and, and Jesus uses this little issue to make a huge point. I'm starting in verse 8, Matthew 15, verse 8. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teachings as doctrines, the commandments of men. And he called to the people and said, said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard you saying, or this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and is defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands is not to thought anyone. So, Jesus in this whole thing uses this little dumb argument. And he goes, look, this, the issue with the Pharisees is that everything's external. They love that, they, that their hands are clean. Lame, eh. What's going down is something in the heart that needs to be fixed. He said, in Luke, he says this. The good, uh, 6.45 says, The good person out of the good treasure of heart produces good. And the evil person out of the, his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Um, many of us have been around uh, people, maybe at one point or another, when they've gotten intoxicated and gotten drunk. And a lot of times people use that. Oh, I didn't mean to say that. Oh, I was, I was drunk. And, like, really? Because if, if, you're, if you're biblical with that, it, it's not that, that, that what was said was caused by the alcohol, but that was there in their heart and alcohol, alcohol caused it to come out. Because if you, if you follow what Jesus is saying here, all of our sins begin at the core, in our heart. And when we talk about the heart, a lot of them like emotional sins and, oh, your heart, you know. Uh, you know, it's just, we talk about it that way. But when, when Jesus talks about the heart, it's, it's the, the whole of a person. It's everything they represent. Um, so I, I believe it's out of the overflow of our heart, our eyes look. Out of the overflow of our heart, our hands act. Our life lives. Jeremiah talked about the heart, and he said this. This is real encouraging for you. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So, you're like thinking, I don't know if he likes me. I don't know. And your friend's like, just follow your heart. Eh, not good. <laughs> no. You got to come back. Well, actually, my heart's desperately sick, and, in, and who can understand it? I can't. Uh, but but don't, don't worry, I'm not going to leave you there. One can. Jesus Christ, Okay. Something's got to be dealt with with our heart in order for our life to respond to Christ in obedience. If you start with obedience and work backwards, you're putting an unnatural weight on yourself to be your own Savior. Please don't do that. Please see the core issue at hand right now that I need to talk to you about. Why I'm here is to proclaim to you not only your sin, and the sin problem that we all deal with as a family, but, some, but more so, the one who deals with our sin. Because, okay, if, let me back up. If, if this is not the case, if the heart is not the case, and, and if we deal with our hearts ourselves, why are we even singing up here? Like, why does Chris lead us in worship? Man, we worship because of Jesus and what he's done to us. You've got to see that all of Christianity, if you call yourself a Christian, all of your life is worship. This is not, a, like, I love what Brian says this. This is not a show. You know, we're not, I'm not here to give you a product. Motivational pep talk. I'm here to proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus. He's risen. He's conquered your sin. Nailed it to the cross. Man, I wouldn't have a job. If, if this job was about me giving you advice, just trash that. Garbage. No, I'm here, I'm here to tell you about our Lord, Jesus Christ. So, tell me about him, Dan. Okay, check this out. Go with me to Ezekiel. Turn to Ezekiel 36 while you're getting there. I want to say a few things. Um, let me read. I'm back. To, I'm going to read one verse out of James. I think this is a good one for us to chew on. Uh, James 1, 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desires, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, it's fully grown, gives birth to death. So I think James, Jesus' brother, is kind of pointing out this issue that the sin begins maybe with a thought. 
something just floating around in your, in your mind, and when that thought is kind of rolled around on the tongue of your heart and thought upon, you begin to have a fantasy. That fantasy gives, gives way to opportunity. That opportunity gives way to, at the same time, maybe a discontentment, a, uh, a restlessness, and that opportunity gives way to sin. But you've got to back up and, and see that if we're just so busy looking at this tree of our life, pulling off all the bad fruit, we're missing the fact that the root is the problem. We need to look at our heart, and our heart must be dealt with in order for us to conquer something like lust. Okay? Um, Ezekiel 36. Let me check. This Bible's massive. There it is. Yes. Wait. Yep, there we go. Um, okay. There's two ways, I think, we, we tend to look at how do we deal with our sin. Uh, I think one way that uh, I saw in the past that, for some reason, uh, we kind of treat it like a cold, and we need to take a cough syrup, and the doctor's like, here you go, take this syrup, and you'll get rid of your cough, and I'm like, oh, all right. And a lot of times that comes out with just real fluffy words, real fluffy preaching. It just leaves it, leaves you guys with yourself. And I think another way to look at it is how Ezekiel points it out in chapter 38. So I'm going to start in verse 24. Verse 24. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. How, Ezekiel? I mean, that sounds really cute. How does that happen? I will cleanse you. 26, right here. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues to be careful to obey my rules. Okay, this is what just happened. So good. I mean, imagine it like this. You are dead on the emergency table. And the doctors are standing around you saying, Oh my goodness, what do we do? He's dead. And, and, and then Jesus is like, out of the way. It's just, it's, you know, stretches a bit, reaches into your dead body, pulls out the heart of stone, and puts in the heart of flesh. A new heart that creates a new nature, new desires, a new life. You guys, we have to see this. If, we, if this is not the case, if it's the other way around, where I just need to take more cough syrup, man, this is not good news. I have nothing to preach. But if Jesus Christ is the one, when I was dead in my trespasses and sin, made me alive. In Ephesians 2. We just got to read it. I uh, can't remember the whole piece. So good. Ephesians 2. Oh, man. If we were having a Bible race, I would lose. <laughs> okay. Woo. There it is. Almost there. Ephesians 2.1. Oh, so good. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, and whence in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, so good. I mean, if Paul would have stopped right there, we're like, oh, that's great, Paul. Thanks for the... No, no, he goes... Right here, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which He loved us, even when you were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. Yeah, that's good news, huh? When we were dead, Jesus Christ came, made us alive by His Spirit. That's why we worship God. That's why we sing these songs. How, how much He loves us. I mean, Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates His love for us while we were yet sinners, while we were lusting, while we were adulterers, while we hated, while we were murderers, Christ died for us. Amen, huh? That good? Good news, huh? Yeah, with me? Okay? All right. Turn over to Galatians. Uh, turn, turn left, one book. Galatians. I'm teaching through this right now with the groups. This is good stuff. Look at, look at verses, uh, Galatians 2, 20 and 21. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Something died there, and something was made alive. And now the life I live, like living in a new way, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, 
loved me and gave himself for me. Now, this is key right here. This ties right into our text. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, Christ died for no, pur- for no purpose. You see, if, if the law was only here to say, just, here you go, here's your list of rules, do it. It's like, it's like Jesus saving us and just throwing us into the lion's den. And I hope you make it out. Yeah, it's just, what, really? That's how you love me? No, no, no. You've got to see, not only where you begin, where you get saved, by God reaching into your dead life, changing your nature, changing your desires, making you a worshiper. But in that, we respond and we look at the law in a different way. We don't say the law is, is why I'm righteous. We say we're righteous because Jesus has made us righteous. We've been given a righteousness that's not our own. Now, Philippians 3 is a great, if you want to read more on that, Philippians 3 is very clear. I love that piece. Um, I mean, just, just consider for me, this, this is a theme. This is not anything with just Paul or just Ezekiel. I mean, think of when Jesus came and Lazarus, one of his closest friends. He loved this man. He died. You know the story. Went to the tomb. The disciples were like, Jesus, what, why are you waiting up, man? I mean, Mary's mad. Everyone's mad. I don't know what we're doing here. And he waits and he waits and he waits and he waits. And he goes four days later to the tomb. Or five days, can't remember. Uh, he stands in front of the tomb. And he goes, Lazarus, come out! What? Did you just tell this dead corpse to come out of the grave? Like, is that a joke? And here comes Lazarus out of the tomb, all wrapped up like a mummy, you know. I mean, Disney totally stole this from Jesus. You know, I, I mean, just this whole thing. I mean, just amazing how, how, how Jesus just has that power that his words go forward and do something to our souls. I mean, Brian text, uh, quotes this verse a lot. Um, it's Romans eleven seventeen it says, uh, faith comes by hearing, hearing through the words of Jesus Christ. You guys got to see this. When we read our Bible, when you share a scripture with anyone, there's power in those words. Not in you, but in the words that you speak. Isaiah says it like this in Isaiah 55. It says, so the rain comes down on the earth, and it waters, and it causes things to grow. So does my word go forth and accomplish my purpose. It never returns void. That's a good promise. So that it doesn't matter. You don't need to be in the pulpit where you think that this is like some kind of holy thing where I have power that you don't possess. No way. I mean, no, yeah, thank you, Bill, for laughing. Yeah. It's like, no, you're right. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it does not matter who's reading the Bible. The Bible carries a power within it because the words of God are sustained by God. It's Philippians 1, 6. He who began a good work in you will be sure to complete it on the day of Jesus Christ. Really? Jesus? Wow. Uh, amazing. Okay, so, I can't read. I got time. All right, I want to look, I didn't have time for this last sermon, but let's go here. Let's go to John chapter 4. We're going to look at the woman at the well for just a second. Um, I, I hope this kind of resonates with my non-Christian friends and my Christian friends. Um, that there's this woman who, who's going to this well and getting a drink of water, and um, she runs into Jesus, and Jesus is, starts chatting with her. And, and, um, and so in this long story short, Jesus kind of starts talking to her and, and saying, uh, she's asking questions and going back and forth, and comes to find out, you know, this, this guy's a teacher, he's a rabbi, what's going on here? Um, and, and she strikes up this thing where Jesus tells her her history. He's like, you know, actually... Um, you're, you've been sleeping with a lot of men, and none of them are your husband. And so the, you can tell she's kind of shocked here that Jesus knows what's, what's going down in her life. Let's, I want to start at verse, um, look at 4, start at verse 13. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring welling up to eternal life. So this is what starts that conversation. And then, then he goes into this whole thing. Um, Look at verse uh, 16. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. And you have said it is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on his mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem, the place where people ought to worship. Uh, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. 
You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Okay, look at this. This conversation went to her talking about the sin that she's in. Instead of Jesus saying, you need to clean up. You need to stop that. You need to just marry one of these guys. It, it doesn't go that way, interestingly enough. It goes to saying, you have a worship problem. And she, she tries to kind of avoid the conversation. She's like, well, we used to worship up there, but now we're, what do you think? He's like, well, <laughs> glad you brought that up. It's actually something that happens, a worship that happens in your soul. So you see this, how she, a sin, a heavy a sexual sin that she's living in, all of a sudden became an issue of the heart. Where Jesus is saying, I, I want there to be a worship that comes out of your heart. I think that's very interesting. Because it would have been very easy for someone to just give advice. I think you should do this. I think you should stop talking to that person. I think that. And that all may be true and well. But if the heart is not dealt with first and foremost, we're chasing after the wind. We're running on a treadmill. We're doing nothing but giving advice. The gospel's not advice. I'm so glad it's not advice. The gospel's news. Good news. Proclamation. I'm not here to tell you the 18 steps to how to have a happy life. The Bible's not the roadmap to your life. It's the roadmap to Jesus. It points you to Jesus. And if whoever is teaching the Word of God in the Bible study here, wherever you're involved, this is not your home, pray that they point you to Jesus. Because if Jesus is not intertwined in every single part of your Bible study, well, that's a little pushing it, if she's not a part of your Bible study, where he's the hero, and he's the answer, he's the promise, pray for you. I think you should get out of that Bible study. Uh, I think that if Jesus Christ is not made great, it's, it's not biblical. Because the Bible is about showing off God, showing off His power. Think about Paul. When he's talk, talking to the Romans, who was a, a solid church. I mean, it's one of his most intense doctrinal, theological letters. Really cool. Um, Paul talks. He's like, I'm not ashamed. Why, Paul? Why aren't you ashamed? Because it's the power of God. Because the gospel is the power of God. That's why I'm not ashamed. And, and Paul goes on later in other letters and saying, I'm just, I, I know I'm not a good teacher. I know, I know I'm boring. But Paul's ministry is like, I didn't come to baptize. I came to preach the gospel. And that, that ministry, to preach the word, man, you can do that to your kids. You can do that to your friends. By just savoring Christ. Is Christ in your conversation? Is he something that you chew on? That you roll around on your tongue? It's on your mind. Man, I hope so. Because if this isn't about Jesus, we, we're left to our own morality. It's pretty hopeless. Um, okay. Let's go over to, uh, I want to look at a couple texts here. Yeah. Uh, go to Romans chapter 7. Because I think there's this question coming out of our, our hearts right now. You're like, okay, Ben, that sounds really great. Uh, you know, that God is great and God saves me and God's, God, 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 reminding me of God. Thank you. It's good. How do I respond? I mean, what do you want me to do? Okay, thanks for asking that question. Uh, 17, or, I'm sorry, Romans 7, starting verse 18. I got to get there. My goodness. Okay. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be the law that when I do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, just like David, uh, in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. Yeah. Will, who will deliver me from this body of death? Good question. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the answer, Paul? Yep. Thanks be to God. God will deliver me from this life. Now, go over a couple chapters. Chapter 11. The variant. Now, what's interesting in the book of Romans, it, it does, it's very thick. From Romans 1 to the end of 11. Uh, it's very thick. A lot of, lot of doctrine. 
lot of teaching on sovereignty, sanctification, salvation, justification, all these really great big words, you know, and you're like, oh my gosh. And then what happens at the end of 11, something really interesting, he transitions to doctrine into application. Check this out. Um, where are we? 11, starting at verse, uh, verse 33. He says, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who can be his counselor? Or who has given him a gift that he cannot be repaid? For, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So Paul's like ending all this doctrine with like this doxology of God. It's like, whoa, the God, all right, and everyone's kind of stunned. But then check this out. If you read it like a letter, as it was, there wasn't numbers and chapters when Paul wrote this. It wasn't like chapter 12. Uh, no, this was a long letter. So check this out. He says, I appeal to you, this is 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So because God is great, because he's powerful, because his wisdom is beyond us, because we have no gift that we can give him, as Paul talks about in, in Acts 17, he's like, we have nothing to give him. We, is God served by human hands as though he needed anything? Yeah, that's really cute, you know. It's as cute as your toddler bringing me uh, my, my, you know, Bible and saying, here, I wrote this for you, you know. Uh, you know, it's just, we have nothing to give to God apart from what God has first given us. And I think that what's going on here is something where, where Paul is bringing us into, this is what worship is. You need to have a right view of God. You have to have a right view of your salvation before you can actually walk in obedience, walk in a life that's pleasing to God. Because if you reverse this, you make yourself your savior, as I've been saying a lot. And I pray we wouldn't do that as a body, as a church. I mean, I pray that our encouragement, and when we meet together, discipleship, that it wasn't me to see, like, who has the fair advice, who knows more. That we, together we would come together and, and, and point each other to Jesus. To raise, see our affections raised for Christ. I mean, because guys, that's what heaven is. Enjoying Christ. I mean, we're free, we're free from our sin. But the replacement of that is Jesus. We get Jesus. You, you know, I mean, like I was saying, the warning of hell is not just so you just don't burn it, but so you enjoy Christ. Okay, um, so, what, I think this question is coming up, what about, what about cutting, off, cutting off the hand? What, what do I do with that? Well, what gets in the way of your worship to God? What hinders you from seeing God shine bright? What prevents you from being a living and holy sacrifice? Cut it off. Cut it off! It's that serious. God loves you that much that because what he did on the cross means so much that by that we have strength to actually cut it off. Man, I pray that we would put our confidence in Jesus Christ. I pray we put our confidence in the cross, that it's finished. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I have a new identity, a new heart. Thank you, Jesus, for being the divine surgeon to rip out my heart of flesh, to give me new desires. Let me read one text. Go to Revelation chapter 21. I think this is good. And this is why we should be worshipers, not just with our mouths, but with our lives. Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning. Neither nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne, behold, I am making all things new. Wow, that's powerful.
that's amazing. That's worth preaching. Gosh, pray. Let's, let's, I think right now, as we begin to worship, um, God, can, can we just consider that as a family? Consider God. Can you remind yourself of God right now? Of his power, his knowledge, his wisdom? That if we truly will fight these, these things like anger and lust and whatever is oppressing our, our soul, that we'll start with Jesus Christ. Let's start with the cross and actually own the gospel. Not just hear it. Let's own it. Let's savor it. Let's chew on it for a while, huh? Pray with me. God, I, I, uh, I feel very uh, feeble to, to say these things because, Lord, I, I feel like I'm a man of unclean lips and I feel like I'm a man that, that is worthy, Lord. I, I feel like I've fallen short of the glory of God. And I know we all have, Lord. And I pray that the weight of our sin would weigh on us, Lord. I pray there would be a humiliation that would grieve us, but it would be a godly grief. I pray, God, that you right now, as if people are hearing this, what I had to say, pray you would use the foolishness of myself to save some, God. Use it to chisel at hearts right now. God, I pray the people that, are, that, that aren't feeling like God is, is poking at them, the Spirit's poking. God, I pray they would think about that. I pray they would meet with you. I pray they would take their sin to the cross and have you deal with it, Lord. You've dealt with us, Lord. You've dealt with our sin. And you've declared us righteous, Lord, in yourself. So, Father, I pray the gospel would taste so good this morning. Thank you so much for this family, for Calvary Slow. We're just one little part of this, this thing going down called Christianity. So, Father, use us for your glory. Help us be a living and holy sacrifice. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.
God, we thank you that in spite of who we are, your grace is sufficient to not only wash us and cleanse us, but also to sustain us, to keep us going. Jesus, we thank you that you are 
you're here. You're here with us, and you desire to help us and strengthen us. And Lord, more than anything, you, you just want a relationship with us that we would not find ourselves giving ourselves away to other things that really just don't satisfy, giving ourselves away to other things that actually end up leaving us defiled or defiling other people. But God, what you call us to, by calling us to Jesus, really is calling us to life. So Father, I ask you that now in this place, in our hearts, and what we heard, and how we sense you, God, whatever that is, we know it's a lot of ways it's just subjective, but Lord, we, we pray that your word and the revelation that we have from you would, would begin to sculpt and shape and change and paint for us a picture of truly who you are, that we would give ourselves over to you as you've revealed yourself to us. Not just an idol, but a true living God that we love, we worship and serve. It's got to be our strength today. Send us out of here so that we can go forth and proclaim clearly, boldly, lovingly, humbly the message that you have come to break any type of oppression upon our lives and to set us free with the gospel. So we thank you for that. We give ourselves to you today. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' holy name we pray. We all agree together by saying, Amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Have a great week. And uh, we'll see you.